in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, I'm thrilled to be in the studio this afternoon on this Solar Eclipse Monday, and I guess it's it's over, and uh, I guess it's exciting. I'm not sure what everyone saw, probably different depending on where you are. Um, before we get started, I want to give our call-in number out in case you're listening to the show and you'd like to call in and speak to either of our guests today. We'd love to hear from you. Our, our call-in number is 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. Um, and as always, be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net for all things related to the show. Uh, so today, <clears throat> excuse me, full disclosure, I have uh, a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to do my best to get through the show with my uh, froggy voice. Um, we have two women joining us today. At the top of the show, we have our very own Kristen Hillsley, a financial advisor with the Foley Hillsley Group, and she's going to be talking all about how to cope with volatile markets, um, which I think is very timely. And, <clears throat> excuse me, following Kristen's segment, I'm going to have a um, wonderful conversation with Kathleen Reidenbach. Kathleen is the Chief Commercial Officer for Kempton Hotels and Restaurants. Um, she operates one of the largest chain of boutique hotels in the nation, so I'm really looking forward to uh, my chat with her. Um, so first, I want to welcome Kristen to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good, Sue. How are you? I'm good. <clears throat> I'm, I'm better than I sound, and perhaps I don't sound as bad as I think I do. I <laughs> uh, had, a, had a crazy cold this week that I'm getting over, um, but feeling much better. Oh. So, listen, I understand your, your topic for today, as I mentioned, is how to cope during volatile markets, and I think that's something we all um, could use some help with. I think it's human nature to kind of go up and down emotionally when the markets go up and down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a big deal right now because we've had this kind of unprecedented period of low volatility lately. Um, and so people... Well, I, I think all of us kind of are very happy with low volatility in markets and wish it could be the new normal. Um, but unfortunately, for the second week in a row, we saw the stock market decline last week. Um, and so the S&P 500, which is kind of like the larger companies that we follow, um, that's traded below its 50-day moving average for the first time since May. And the small caps were just as bad, if not worse. They pretty much erased all of their gains for the year. So this sudden rise in volatility kind of gives everyone pause and say, wait a minute, it, the waters work pretty calm so far. In fact, if we look at how the market normally behaves, we normally do see a lot more volatility than this. Like this year so far, 
Um, we've only seen seven trading sessions where the S&P has had a 1% move, um, which is abnormal. And to add to that, the market is actually experiencing its longest spell in 20 years without a 5% correction. And so kind of all these things give us pause to say that, you know, at some point the volatility is coming and it's better to be prepared beforehand than later because if you're trying to make good financial decisions under emotional distress, it's going to be a lot harder um, to grow your portfolio in, in that kind of a decision-making environment. You, you know what's always interesting to me is we know um, intellectually that, that the market behaves the way it does, and yet, you know, the volatility always continues to, um, you know, give us, give us pause. Tell me more uh, about what you mean when you when you talk about emotional investment decision making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the best thing to do is look at just kind of think about your own um, emotions in maybe March of 2009 when the market was at its lowest. Um, what we see is the market basically has a cycle, and our emotions can tend to flow along with that cycle. And so if we take this last period of time where we've had this unprecedented low volatility, everybody's feeling pretty good. And so they're saying, you know what, the market's doing pretty good. I, I, I think I want to invest. Um, and that momentum sort of feeds on itself to the point where once the market peaks, that's when you start getting people saying, oh, man, like, I don't want to miss out on this. The market's been doing what per year? Oh, my gosh, I want to put my money in. And that's when we see a lot of money starting to go into the stock market. And um, optimism and, and, well, excessive optimism and greed we see in the market. And that's when people start thinking, this is never going to end. The market's just going to keep going up and up. And that's inevitably when the market turns on us and it starts going down. And, and the deal there is that people start, you know, they have this, okay, I've got my long-term plan. I can stick with it. They open a couple statements. They see the portfolio might be going down. They hear on the radio that the stock market is going down. And there's a certain amount of that that we can handle. Um, but as I said earlier, if you go back to March of 2009, I mean, at, at, at a market bottom, there is true fear out there. Um, and let's say you have $100,000 at in October of 2007, and the market from peak to trough, I think it was down like 43% during that time, from like October of 2007 to March of 2009. Mm-hmm. Your hundred thousand dollars. If it went down by forty three percent, that's forty three thousand mm. dollars. That's real fear, and so we can possibly make um, bad choices when right. when you've got something like that in front of you. Yeah. Well, to keep it simple, I know that you have tips that we should just always have in the forefront of our mind. Um, can you just share those four tips? Yeah, absolutely. There's four things that you want to do. One, you want to stay the course and keep your focus on the long term. Well, I guess that's one and two. You, number one, you want to stay the course. Number two, you want to remember what your long-term objective is and stick with it. And number three, you want to make sure you're diversified. We hear a lot about you know, not putting all of your eggs in one basket, but you truly want to have a diversified approach to your portfolio. And then you want to consider your asset allocation. <clears throat> what do you invest in? Because one of the secrets is that, you know, 93%, I think, of why your portfolio is going to do what it's going to do has to do with your asset allocation. And if your market is on this prolonged 
period of, of doing really well, you might have a little bit more in stocks than you think you do over time if you're not, if you're not keeping tabs on that. Okay. Um, but one really big tip that I would give people, and this is the most important for us, is, um, and it sounds like relationship advice, but it's, it, it really is about your portfolio, is that, is that you should communicate. Um, you know, communicate with your financial advisor or your peer group or whoever you're getting advice from about what level of anxiety you have. Um, the best thing that we could do for our clients is have them call us, email us, come in and visit us. Um, in a bad market, if you can communicate how anxious you're feeling, you really can make positive decisions and be encouraged in, in the right way. Um, the other thing, it goes both ways. I mean, what we try and communicate with our clients, every Monday we send out um, an email that talks about what the market's done over the last week and what it's going to do, you know, going forward, and just give some food for thought to our clients. And um, we call it our Monday email because we send it out on Mondays. And, and, it, and it's great because sometimes, you know, our clients will be thinking about things over the weekend. They get the email and they say, oh, you know what, i got to email Kristen or, or, you know, the team. And, and it's been very helpful for, for a lot of our folks. I love how you describe um, the name of the email, creatively calling it Monday email. <laughs> um, well, that's great advice, Kristen. And, and for the listeners, always, you know, I want women in particular to know that they can reach out to you anytime and really get some, you know, kind of simple, straightforward advice and guidance. So um, give our listeners your contact information so they can reach out. Oh, sure. If, actually, if anybody wants to be on our Monday email list, they can just email mondayemail at rwbaird.com, and it's rwbaird.com, or they can always visit us at shbaird.com. Okay. Thank you so much. As always, love having you on the show. Thank you. I hope you feel better. Thanks, Kristen. I'll talk to you okay, soon. So, Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Now I'm thrilled to bring on to the show my very special guest this afternoon. And again, her name is Kathleen Reidenbach. <clears throat> Excuse me. Kathleen is the Chief Commercial Officer for Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants, um, and she operates the largest chain of boutique hotels in the nation. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So great to, to have you here. Um, you and I connected quite a while ago, and, and I've been looking forward to uh, this interview. And one of the reasons is I don't know if I mentioned to you when we first spoke uh, back in the day, I actually worked in the hotel industry. I was with uh, Hilton Hotel chain. Oh, how funny. Yeah, long, long, long time ago. And <laughs> so, um, listen, I want to start with your with your upbringing and your background, which is always um, the way I love to start the show. And I understand your home, hometown was Chevy Chase, Maryland. Is that correct? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yep, just outside D.C. Okay, and uh, tell me a little bit about that, those years as a young girl. Tell me a little bit about uh, your family and your upbringing and how that may have played a role in what you're doing today. Sure. So uh, I grew up, I'm actually an only child, so there were a lot of eyes and ears on me, and um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a great upbringing. My parents obviously were super supportive of me and, um, you know, exposed me to a lot, traveled. I had the opportunity to travel a decent amount, um, and I went to an all-girls school, which was, I think, provided me um, with a great perspective and opportunity to just 
um, you know, that there's there's pros and cons to co-ed and private um, uh, single-sex education, and I think um, I, I benefited from being in an all-girls school and just being able to focus on school and sports and and friends. Um, it was it was a great experience. Yes, you know, um, I'm always interested when when uh, one of my guests does have that type of uh, um, environment growing up. The all-girls academies, I think, there there really is a difference. T- talk a little bit more about that and what it, how it how it affected your um, confidence level. So, uh, you know, I think my daughter is at a co-ed school right now, so I think it it um, it can kind of go either way. But I think being surrounded by smart, ambitious. Um, strong women as well as men who who support women and helping them to achieve their dreams is really important so I didn't really um, I didn't really think about what I couldn't do I just sort of put my focus on what I could do whether that was focusing in on playing basketball or playing lacrosse or you know getting a great good grade on a math test so I think it was it was a really positive experience for me in general and, and from what I understand, I, I think that sports played a major role in in your upbringing as well. And I know you're still involved um, in community sports for young people today. Yes, I I think um, I think sports has been played a tremendous role for me. I think the values that you learn from being on a team, um, recognizing that you are supporting each other, recognizing that different people play different roles. I oftentimes talk to um, talk about that when I think about my team here at Kimpton is that we all have different skill sets so if you look at a basketball team I at five foot ten was the tallest one on the team so my job was rebounding and um, <laughs> one of the girls who was a little shorter she was a great dribbler and had a great three-point shot so I, I think about that a lot as you sort of piece together a diverse range of talents mm-hmm. and understand that together they can all um, really put together quite some significant and, and impactful outcomes. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. Um, Kathleen, I think that your your very first job says a lot about you. Um, apparently, uh, your very first job was the Kathleen Sanford house watching business. Is that yes. right? First of it all, was. how old were you? And, and I want to know if that was your idea or mom and dad's idea. Oh, that was totally my dad's idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, uh, I was probably just in, in high school, throughout high school, I did that. So it was a great opportunity. I was coaching at camps in the summer, and it was a job that, I mean, a lot of people go on vacation, and my dad's a big gardener and recognized that a lot of people still need their plants to be watered and their dogs to be watched. And so it was uh, $10 for the first visit, $6 for each additional visit per day. <laughs> um, but it was it was a good job, you know, learning some responsibility and taking care of people's homes and their pets that they love. And um, But it, it fit in well with my schedule, and then that was my spending money for the school year. Did you enjoy it, or did, or did you feel, you know, it was a chore? I enjoyed it. And then yeah. I always, you know, I, I kind of wove it into my day, you know, in the mornings or in the afternoons. And if I was you know, had a friend in the car, I'd pull over to the side and they'd say, where are we stopping? I'd say, we're good. we got to go water some plants. And they, <laughs> so they got used to coming along with me. And I think I actually, that's kind of how I roll today. I kind of build and weave everything into um, not necessarily in a sequential order. <laughs> so it was very flexible and, and, you know, worked well with your, with your lifestyle. 
Exactly. Yeah. So um, you graduated with a degree in economics and Spanish from Amherst College and uh, in Massachusetts. And I'm wondering, at that time, what did you plan to do with that degree? You know, um, with Amherst being a liberal arts college, economics was kind of the closest you could get to going into some sort of, of, of a business role or at least an alignment on some of the some of the coursework that you took. So Spanish was something that I um, had done all through high school and just kind of kept going along with in college so that I could retain it and, and um, ultimately just ended up being a double major because I kept taking the classes. Um, I, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. I So I actually, my first job out of college was doing investment banking. So I did a two-year analyst program out of there. Um, So I I think I was just sort of generally thinking I wanted to go into business, but I wasn't quite sure where I would land. And then Mm -hmm. investment banking kind of gave me another layer of um, analytical skills and just understanding, you know, from ages 22 to 24, working in the business world and meeting deadlines and performing under pressure and a lot of great skills that I, I took with me. Um, on my next chapter at Kimpton. So would you say that, you know, analytics and finance and numbers were something that always interests you? Or, do, or did you kind of pursue it as something you thought would be, you know, good for for a career? No, I always enjoyed math. Um, I wasn't as, as strong, I would say, in science. But in math, I always I, I enjoyed it. And um, from a young age was, you know, loved doing uh, multiplication tables as fast as I could. And my parents were big on flashcards, so I would, so I would do a lot of that. So I was right. always comfortable with numbers, and and um, and that was just it was a little bit more natural for me probably than some of the other subjects. Yeah, I didn't ask you this. Your mom did she work outside of the home? Oh, she did. So uh, she she actually was in the CIA for for twelve years, and then she um, was home for a little bit with me, and then she went back and she um, was a grief and bereavement counselor for over thirty years. Wow. Wow. That's yes. an interesting interesting combination. Yes, it is. <laughs> what, what was her role with the CIA, can you say? <laughs> of course I cannot say. I don't even know. She doesn't talk about it. <laughs> she could never tell you all these years. Right, right. Um, oh, but that's right. very cool. I mean, that's, you know, kind of an unusual path. So tell me what, you know, lesson, if any, you learned from that, your mom being in a role like that. Yeah, I think I um, I always have admired it. I think it's for sure the toughest job. I I would watch. Um, I mean, she helped so many people, and she she received a lot of joy from helping families go through incredibly difficult times. And obviously, with really heavy stuff going on and and taking on a heavy load emotionally during the day, I was always and I I do the same thing now. Whenever she'd walk in the door. She'd flip on the CDs and and play Motown music, and oh, um, yeah. I think it was a great way to sort of decompress and yeah. um, and and shift gears into yeah. the the second part of the day, and and that's something that I do today. So the first thing I do when I walk in the door is we turn on Spotify, yeah. and um, and start just dancing around and singing to music. Oh, I love that! I love that. You know, it's interesting. I wonder if her what she experienced. And Saul, in her job with the CIA, um, led her to then the counseling uh, I know. position. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think both uh, there there is definitely some relationships between the two, and navigating difficult situations for sure is, mm-hmm. is one of the top ones, and dealing with a lot of heavy information probably. Yes, right, right. And not being afraid of it. That's right. That's right. That's key. 
Um, so, so prior to joining uh, Kempton, you were, um, as you mentioned, a financial analyst, and you were with Robertson Stevens, uh, an investment right. bank. Here's what I want to know. So do you think that your ability to have a solid grasp of numbers has helped you in your current position, um, which has a lot to do with leading branding and marketing efforts? Or, yes. or in what way it, does that help? Yeah, I think it does. I think um, being able to understand the full picture and understanding the um, choices that we're making, the cost of the choices that we're making, whether we're going to execute an ad campaign or invest in um, some new technology, understanding you know what, what that cost is, what that ROI is going to be, and then what the impact is. And so I really try to balance the choices that we make in terms of from a branding, from a positioning perspective, from a marketing perspective, and what that's going to actually deliver to each of our properties at the end of the day. So we take that responsibility incredibly seriously in understanding that it needs to, it needs to drive revenue and it needs to drive profit, profitability for our, for our properties. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I want to read a quote, um, something that you said, which I think is, is just um, – Really, what talks how what describes you? I should say as a leader. You said at Kimpton, we don't we don't um, hand you a rule book of procedures. Uh, speaking about your employees, you said in fact we ask you to lead with your heart and make the right decisions. And when I heard you say that, I thought you know some people might say that that kind of language, leading with your heart, is is soft. And I'd love to know what you would say. Uh, to people that think that? Yeah, I think I, I'd say it as an alternative soft to soft. I'd say that I think leading with your heart is one of the bravest and strongest things you can do as a leader. I think that um, if you hire the right people, if you put them in an environment that is healthy and engaging, um, if they receive the right direction and, and understand what the goals are, I think that you are going to go a lot further empowering your employees and um, and encouraging them to lead with their heart and communicate with compassion, you're going to get a much better outcome. You're going to get a stronger team. You're going to get more engagement from your leaders and from your from your teams and colleagues. And ultimately, you're just going to be um, able to, to produce um, and, and outperform your competition. Would you say that's something – you always knew yourself intuitively, or is that something that you learned throughout your career? I think it's something, I think it's both. I think um, being, I, I think growing up, I think I was always encouraged to, to lead with my heart, to do the right thing. That was something um, that was really important to our family. And um, But I also think that learning more about the values at Kimpton, so having been at Kimpton for 15 years. It's been something that's been, from the beginning, an important part of Bill Kimpton's vision was creating a culture of heartfelt care and compassion and also providing the tools in which to make sure that that can happen. You can say that, but I think that unless you're providing the tools, um, personal development tools, unless you're coaching and, and leading in that manner, then it, that it will probably fall a little bit short. Would you say he has been a mentor for you? So I unfortunately, I, I would say, um, I unfortunately wasn't didn't have the opportunity to meet Bill Kimpton, but certainly know a lot of people who did, and he left 
quite a legacy here at our company. We still talk about him a lot. In fact, someone was just doing an interview recently, and they said, well, I'd love to meet Bill Kempton. And we said, I mean, so we talk about him so much that it's, it's like he's still here with us. So yeah. absolutely, I think he was a pioneer in um, the way that he led um, in his, his values and creating a pretty special uh, workplace that, that we love so much. Yeah. Can you tell me about someone who in your life, um, other than mom and dad, who, who believed in you and, and left an impression? Um, gosh, the, the list probably goes on and on. I think one of the things that I tell people is to make sure that you surround yourself with a, with a huge support system and network. So, you know, my, my family is really important to me. Um, my husband uh, plays a huge role. We have a lot of great conversations. Every night we sit in the dining room table and, and catch up, and I'm able to wrestle through problems together with him and, and just get another perspective um, so I and and I lean on a lot of people to help me to um, to process information and to make sure that I'm assessing it in the right way that is that is heartfelt and and not judgmental. And and hold, maybe hold you accountable for things. Our spouses Absolutely. do a good job of that, yeah. right? <laughs> they do. <laughs> and our kids and our kids. Exactly. <clears throat> so tell me, I understand you have a. a maybe not a secret love, but um, of interior design. And I think, wow, what a great industry to be in um, having that love. Do you have opportunities in your role to get involved in that uh, with Kimpton? Oh, no, I admire from afar. Oh, you do? <laughs> um, I, I do admire from afar, but our um, our head of design, uh, Ave Bradley, is our creative director, and she, along with a whole team of designers do and, do an, and craftsmen, do an incredible job. So, where we actually come together, I guess, and in, in the role that we play is is um, thinking about our customers and understanding our needs. So we have a lot of great conversations about what do next generation meetings and events look like? How are people gathering today versus three, four, five years ago? We find that you know we've even converted, including my office is is a has a bunch of couches in it, and we kind of gather in here and you know, hook up our computer to a flat screen TV. So we think about that, and that starts to drive choices that we're making in terms of next generation design, both from a guest room, but also from a meetings and events perspective. Yeah, I think things have changed dramatically um, around that. I would say that today, millennials in particular really look for um, cozier surroundings in the workplace, right? With in, in particular, the, the shared workspaces that you see all around uh, the country in different cities, it really is a, a much nicer environment, which I would imagine inevitably, you know, um, helps people be more inspired and, and innovative in their thinking. Absolutely. I think, I think that's what you're seeing. And you're seeing the shift into more residential spaces. So maybe a boardroom doesn't look like a boardroom, but it kind of feels like you're in the dining room of someone's home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's just a little bit more comfortable. And you relax a little bit and maybe you share a little bit more and it just creates a better environment for collaboration. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing. I think some of us that, you know, of the older generation, we, we poke fun at it, you know, sometimes that um, – you know, back in our day, we didn't have rock climbing walls in our offices. But right. <laughs> but I think why not, you know, make a workspace as nice as it can be. You're only going to um, get a better work ethic and, and uh, mentality from your people. 
Absolutely. I mean, we're, we spend a lot of time at work, right, and working, yeah. and so I think it's really important. I think it's it sends a message to your employees that you care about their environment, you care about them being in a place that they feel comfortable in. So, I think it's I think it's a really critical component, and I think sometimes can be can be overlooked. So I think it's important to solicit feedback. So. Um, we we think about we talk to our employees about what it is that they you know what's important to them here in San Francisco um, for the work environment and we just installed a brand new kitchen with a big island so people gather and we have wine hours there on Thursday evenings or maybe an early Friday afternoon so um, it's a great way to connect um, you know outside of a, a regular meeting. Do you ever see any negative? Uh, to it? In other words, you know, people may be getting a little distracted, um, or, or would you say it really is, is a positive thing to have these environments um, as nice as they can be? It's been really positive. I yeah. haven't seen any, any challenges with it. Um, Kathleen, if you're just tuning in, I'm, I'm speaking with Kathleen Reidenbach today, Chief Commercial Officer for Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants. I'm wondering if there's any trends in the hotel and travel industry that we might find surprising. Um, I think one of the things we continue to see in the travel industry is people are really mixing business with pleasure. So we are responding to that with um, blog content that talks about, you know, what to do with two hours in Austin, right? You may not have the opportunity to have, to do a long weekend. I know that, you know, with travel schedules for me, if I fly in on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, fly out on Friday, I don't have the, I got to get back. Um, so I don't have the opportunity to extend a day. So I really may only have two hours in Austin. So I think people are, are getting um, even more efficient with their business travel and their leisure travel um, and tra- as they mix those two together. So they would love to come back with from a trip and just say, well, I tried the most amazing taco place um, when I went to San Diego. So opportunities for, for that. Okay. Um, Kathleen, listen, we're going to take a, a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about how you um, implement digital um, systems and programmings and things um, in your industry. We'll be right okay. back. This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to FoleyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. 
In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Kathleen Reidenbach. She's the Chief Commercial Officer for Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants. And um, just before the break, Kathleen, I was thinking a little bit about the fact that, you know, hotels and travel and, and hospitality are really all about people. Um, however, in this digital age, uh, we have to constantly be thinking about how to implement um, certain tools and systems that are going to, you know, help us stand out from uh, our competition. I'm wondering what you focused on um, in doing that with Kimpton. Sure. So we have thought a lot about our digital platforms and what we can provide our guests to ensure that we're building a stronger and stronger relationship with them. We may only see certain guests two, three, four, or five days of the year. So we think about what are the ways that we can engage with them and be a part of their lives the other 360 days that they're not with us. So we have put a lot of thought um, and perspective and, and fun into our blog. So we have a blog called Life is Sweet, and that is where we provide you know tips and tricks on everything from travel to interior design to um, picking the you know great places to to drink beer in Portland. So. It's a great opportunity for us to, I think, help our guests, um, introduce them to new things, and um, engage with them um, the, other, the other 360 days they're not staying with us. Yeah, I think that's one of the most positive things that, that we get out of all of this um, social media and, and, uh, and Internet and blogs. It really is just the ability to continually communicate with each other. And, you know, that's an opportunity to hear from your, uh, your customers. Absolutely, and I think you know social media is a great opportunity as well. We have a tremendous amount of Instagram-worthy spots and um, and bars and restaurants and and hotels and light fixtures and bathtubs, and so we we take a lot of pride in that, and, and frankly are enjoying all the amazing images that our guests take for us. So they are incredible photographers. And so it's been it's been a great opportunity for us to also engage on that front and, and provide some inspiration to our guests that, that I think they may take home and say, you know what, I love that throw pillow. I'm gonna I'm gonna find something just like it for my own living room. Yeah, that's fun. Um, tell me what what impact, if any, has um, Airbnb had on your business? So. We think about when we think about Airbnb. I think that it is definitely um, it's bringing more people out to travel. I think it is um, it's something that allows more and more guests to um, get a local experience. So we we continue doing what we're doing. I think that people that want to stay in a hotel are looking for um, they're looking for great Wi-Fi. They're looking for security. They're looking for a great restaurant and bar. They're looking for the amenities that they can enjoy, but also in a great location. So Airbnb is in a little bit of a different, um, a related but different segment for us, and mm-hmm. I think it's um, there's room for kind of all of us. 
Yeah, great. Um, listen, you received the um, 40 Under 40 Award, and uh, two questions I had for you. First of all, were you surprised? Yes. <laughs> and t- how, you know, what, what did it mean to you to, to get that acknowledgement? That was kind of wild. I, you know, I, um, it was definitely a surprise. I, it was an incredible honor. I think it is a recognition that I received, but I quickly turned to my team and say, this is, this is for all of us. Uh, we've done a lot over the last four or five years here at Kimpton to evolve the brand and, and stand up new digital systems and technologies and social media platforms and communications and pricing. There's just a whole lot of people. So it's, um, it's definitely an honor for me. And I, I am just was so grateful to the teams and family and friends who have supported me along the way that allow me to do what I do. And um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. I kind of got a kick out of it. <laughs> well, I, I know it was well-deserved. And I think, um, you know, often those kinds of recognitions are really um, – an acknowledgement of, of you as a leader and how you motivate your team. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what your philosophy is to kind of keep everybody, um, you know, working together and, and working at their best potential. Yeah, so I, I spend a lot of time um, making sure the team is in sync together. So we invest a lot in, in time together, um, whether it's our, our our Monday meetings, we do a one-hour meeting all together. I do one-on-ones with my team. But more importantly, um, I, I make it a priority to make sure that our team gets together for off-sites and retreats. So whether it's a day or two days, um, and sometimes it has to be an on-site, and we just um, go into one of, our, one, of, one of our meeting rooms here at the office. But I find that time to be um, the most rewarding and inspiring um, and allows us to really build strong relationships and trust with each other. And, um, and that's just something that you can't always create or, or develop, you know, within the four walls of your, of your office building. It's something that might need to happen, you know, on a bike ride in Sonoma as you watch everyone sort of awkwardly try to hop on bikes and weave their way to a winery. So <laughs> the team building and the, and the um, vulnerability and the exposure and um, is, is just different when you can get, get out, outside and, um, and spend some time together and get to know each other as people. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think, it, um, you know, it sounds to me like you, you see the importance in really just having fun, giving um, – the, the people that work for you, the opportunity to, you know, not have their guard up, let's say. And, right. Uh, right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really smart. Yeah, and I think if you're able to, I think if, if each person is able to get to know each other as individuals, when you hit some roadblocks or you hit some conflict or something goes sideways, I think you're in a much better position to resolve that in a, in a compassionate and healthy way because, you know, that was the – the guy or gal that you, you know, sat by the fire pit with just, you know, four weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> right. Can you talk, Kathleen, about, um, you know, I think that we all kind of mix life and work, and um, we all have personal challenges that we face um, that we work to overcome or we do it, deal with on a regular basis. Is there any challenges that you've faced in your life that you could share with us um, that you have had to to work on or overcome, um, and and still see the success that you've had as a leader. Sure. So I, I think a lot of times the subject of work life balance it comes up constantly, 
Um, and it's something that my perspective on it is is that you're never going to be in perfect balance and you're going to sort of swing from one side to the other in terms of maybe you're working a lot and then maybe the next week you take that Friday off and, and do a long weekend. So I, I really try to be flexible with myself and I'm not constantly monitoring, but I, but I step, try to keep a 30,000-foot view to make sure that I'm on track as a person, um, as a mom, as a wife, as a leader of our team, and as a friend. So it's, it's, um, it's just trying to find that, that right balance for that one day um, and what feels right for you. But I think, you know, I've, we've, we, have, we have two kids that are um, 6 and 11, started their first day of school today, um, and it's important to me to be there for that and, and those events in life. And I'm coaching my, my daughter's um, first-grade soccer team. Practice starts tomorrow. So I try to build <laughs> in as much as I can, but yeah. I also have, a, have um, a support system. If I'm traveling, my husband will cover. Um, but I think – Delegating is the one thing that I have really grown um, over the last several years and learned to get better and better at and make sure that the time that I spend with my team, the time that I spend with my family and my friends is as quality as, as possible. So I really have to let a lot more go than I ever thought um, that from when I you know, first became a mom, I would say. So are you able to do that without, you know, guilt? You know, I know you do quite a bit of traveling, yeah. right? right. And, um, and two children, as you mentioned, 6 and 11. Um, yep. that, that, so how do you – are you able to do that? Have you let go of that guilt and, 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 you know, come to know that you're really doing the very best you can on all fronts? Yeah, it's hard. There's always going to be some guilt in there, and um, I try to be really transparent with, with my kids about where I'm going and what I'm up to, and we FaceTime and, um, and and try to make sure that I'm around as much as possible. But there's, of course, that guilt creeps in there. You can't really help it. Um, but I, I do think that early on, you know, you think, oh, well, I'm going to pick out every outfit for this, or I'm going to make sure I'm the one who signs up for all the, you know, this activity or that activity, and I and I and be there for this, and I, I recognize that I, I can't do all those things that maybe I thought on paper I'd be able to do. Mm-hmm. But you know what, I am gonna I am gonna sign up to be the soccer coach, and I might have to miss, you know, 20% of the practices, but my husband will cover, and it's okay if I'm not at every single practice. Yeah, would you say? I think some women think it's 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 not doable to be a mother, a wife. Um, you know, someone in, in a leadership role that just, off, you know, um, gives you so much more responsibility. Is it, is it the um, ability to um, understand that whatever role you're in at the time, be focusing on that and, and not be thinking yes. about the other place that you should or could be? Yes, I think that's key. I think that you, it's hard. And I, I try, you try to be nimble um, and make sure that you're you're also available so I may I'm home and like I said my husband and I have dinner together every single night and that's a ritual for us and we catch up and we're not on our phones and we're just there and then maybe afterwards I'm catching up on some emails or making a couple phone calls so I try to be more fluid and I think it's it's harder to say well from nine to five on this and from five to from five to nine I'm something else I think recognizing that 
there's some minutes, 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, where you're sort of shifting out of other, out, out of other roles. Or it's hard. You're not really zip, unzipping out of one costume and throwing on another. You're all those things at one time. Yeah. So tell me when when you're having those those moments where perhaps you're not doing it well. What is it that keeps you up at night? I would say if I think that I've come up short for someone on my team or or my family, I, I definitely will be feel sad about that, but I recognize that they need me to be there at the next minute, so I just need to move forward. I think I think people are can oftentimes be pretty hard on themselves, so I try to I try to pull back and know that I'm just doing the best that I can. That's something my sister-in-law always says to me. She says, "People are just doing the best they can," and I think that's um, I think that's a really good perspective to anchor yourself to because you can kind of beat yourself up because you you were late and missed you know the 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 beginning of the trombone performance or whatever it is. You're just you're doing the best you can. You can't help traffic. You can't help. Um, meetings, you know, urgent meetings that pop up, and so I think if you anchor yourself to that, you're gonna you're com- gonna come out of it um, more grounded and and probably happier and healthier. I agree. I, I do. I love that phrase. Look, we're all just doing the best we can. <laughs> I think we should <laughs> say that every day um, to each other. You know, um, just kind of give people a break. So I want to talk back talk a little bit more about your um, your industry and and. Tell me what you think the number one advantage of boutique hotels is over the large chains. Sure. So, you know, I've always loved boutique hotels growing up, actually coming out to San Francisco and staying at Kimpton Hotels and not even realizing it when I was younger. So they just, you know, I think they're really nestled into their neighborhoods. I think that there is a a heart and a soul to a boutique hotel experience. Um, At least when you stay at a Kimpton hotel, there is. You've got really friendly and warm people that are employees of the hotel that enjoy being around people, enjoy helping other people, and that's just really comforting. I think travel can be lonely and stressful. I know when I travel by myself, um, you know, sometimes I only utter, you know, two, three, four words over a nine-hour flight experience. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it can be kind of isolating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you walk in through those doors, I think you just feel it. You feel the spirit of, of a, a Kimpton Hotel experience. And that just comes through everything from um, the gorgeous chandelier, you know, to the warm smile to someone saying, can I get you a glass of wine? So I think it. I think all of that together just makes a boutique hotel experience very special. So what do you look for when you're scouting new locations? And, and, and please so, tell us, you know, where all of your hotels are. Sure. So we have, you know, over 60 hotels and restaurants across the United States. And also we have um, just past this past year opened the Seafire Resort and spa in Grand Cayman on Seven Mile Beach, which is incredible. So mm. we have a mix of urban destinations as well as resorts. Okay. And um, we look for, you know, we look at a lot of things. We look for, you know, to see if the building is going to be a great fit. We look to see what the living room experience is going to be. That's something that is, a, I think, a hallmark of, of Kimpton is these very cool, inviting, warm living rooms, oftentimes with a fireplace where we gather, where people, you know, people grab their morning coffee or tea in the morning, but also they come back and sink into one of our couches and 
kick back with a glass of wine, glass of wine to close out the day. So we look to see what's the public space going to be like, and then also want to make sure that the guest room size is going to be is going to be good for us. And then thinking about the neighborhood, that's something that's important for us. What's what's happening there? We're we're very comfortable going into you know, up-and-coming neighborhoods and destinations, and we're happy to be, you know, right in the heart of, of downtown Washington, D.C. So it's a mix for us. And correct me if I'm wrong, I, I thought when we initially spoke that you were actually looking at a, at a, opening a place, or you may, you may have, in Europe. Yes. Is that so right? we opened in April. Right. We opened the DeWitt Hotel in Amsterdam, and right in city center, along with um, the three restaurants and bars. Okay. And tell me what when you know when you open a brand new place and you're, you know, bringing a brand new team together. And so this is a, a right. group of people that have never worked together before. Um what is your training process like? What is it that you look to do to get them all in sync? So, it's a mix. So, we spend a lot of time um we are we're a design-led brand, so our design team will go into a market, find find sort of the white space in the market, and, and partner with the design designer to, to come up with something that is inspiring and beautiful um, and even has a little bit of a sense of humor as well. So once that process is done, then we conduct what we call a brand position workshop. So that's where we sit down and really think about who we are as a brand for that individual property, who what we stand for, um, and that produces this brand dashboard and then we take that dashboard and we spend a lot of time with the employees and helping them to understand what the brand is and what it stands for what's the spirit of that brand what's the style um, and and how is it that we're going to make people smile so we train a lot on that um, and we train a lot on what we call the guest journey um, in terms of where there's different touch points in the experience that we have certain things going to happen so we take that and we couple it with um, service training, and um, and I think together with those things, you, you get that Kimpton experience. So we talk a lot about empowerment. We do a lot of role-playing. We do a lot of storytelling. Um, I think those are the, some of the things that we do um, in our training to make sure that people understand who we are and what we stand for, and then also ensure that they're going to trust their heart, trust their gut, and make the right decision. Do you see yourself in this role long term, or do you have aspirations to, you know, uh, go to a different position within the company? Uh, you know, right right now, I mean, I just love my job, and I'm having so much fun. I think that one of the things is that our space is changing so much, um, and we're evolving. Um, as I mentioned, we're opening our we just opened in Europe in Amsterdam. We have Paris on the horizon in about a year or two and looking at additional opportunities in China. Um, and, in, and so I think it's, there's, there's just so much right now for, for me to learn. I, I am quite happy where I am. Well, it's, it's a great um, – I'm noticing a theme throughout this interview, um, humor, wine, and people. <laughs> yes. It's a great – right? sums it up. <laughs> it's a great combination. Um, so tell me – can you – Think of a um, something that you implemented, or a project that you, that you implemented, something you accomplished that stands out for you, that that really kind of boosted your confidence and and um, gave people the opportunity to recognize you as a leader. Sure, I'm, I think one of the things that I'm I'm proud that that our teams accomplished is 
is scaling our brand. So if you think about it, Kimpton has all these different unique destinations, all with their own individual hotel brand names. So you have the Hotel Monaco in Washington, D.C., the Palladian, 9-0 in Boston. So you have all these different brand identities. And so the, the challenge our team was faced with is how do you scale that? How mm. do you grow that from 60 hotels and restaurants to 100 hotels and restaurants? Right. So we embarked on that journey of trying to figure out ways to create brand platforms and tools so that people can be very clear about who we are and what we stand for at each of the destinations, but wanting to make sure that we don't show up cookie cutter. So that's something that we've put a lot of time, effort, thought, and soul into, and I think it's allowed us to be enter new markets, allowed us to take our, our great brand that's had a tremendous amount of success in the United States and then also do that so well in Amsterdam. So one of the, the tools and the keys to that is is you look at take brand standards as an example and people say, well, what if this, you know, what if wine hour as an example isn't going to be a fit in XYZ destination or location? And we say, no problem. So we, what we've thought about is look at those tried and true um, hallmarks of the brand and said, well, why did we do wine hour? And we said, well, really, Wine Hour is about bringing people together at the end of the day. Wine Hour is about connect connection and gathering people in our living room and sit by the fireplace. So as long as we can find a way to bring people together at the end of the day, then we can come up with a solution or a brand standard that's going to fit in any destination and location for any type of demographic or customer. Mm. So yeah. it's allowing flexibility but going back to the original intention of things that made your brand true, so you don't mm -hmm. stray too far away from that, but you can still evolve it. Is that what you would say is your favorite part of the job, that creative aspect? You know, it's all of it. I think, um, you know, I, I came in actually through revenue management, um, and so certainly had an understanding of, of pricing dynamics, and then that led me to, well, what do I need to know and understand if I want to price more? And then, I, it, you know, sort of you delve into, well, the website needs to be great, and then the photography. And so I love how it all fits together. Mm -hmm. I love understanding how all these different parts interact with each other, and I think that's what's been a lot of fun um, with our new commercial organization is taking sales, taking catering, taking branding, marketing, PR, communications, all these different loyalty programs, all these different disciplines and bringing them together and putting them on the same team and understanding how they influence each other and if they are all as connected as possible, you know, what great things we can do. Yeah, I would imagine your day is never, you know, there's no monotony. You're, you're really involved no. in all aspects. Yes. It's a lot of fun. It certainly yeah. will swing from one end of the spectrum to the other, depending on what sort of what's going on in the mix. But it's a it's a it's a lot of fun. I I um, I am never bored. <laughs> and I think that's you know I think that's one of the things that is um, important that I always tell people is you know do what makes you happy. You want if you're if you love what you do, if it makes you happy, you're gonna be great at it. And yeah. that was one of the reasons I think I shifted out of investment banking. I I I. You know, I liked it, but I saw a lot of people that really loved it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go do something that I love, and that's kind of how I stumbled upon Kimpton. Yeah, that's great advice. Tell me about the women in your industry. Is you know, percentage-wise, are are there more women in the hospitality field than men? You know, I don't have that number. I can I can tell you at Kimpton, we've got a number of women in key leadership roles. 
Um, on our executive team, we actually have um, over half the, the executives on our team are women. So our, our, it's been, I'm, I've always, I think, been lucky to be surrounded by women leaders and um, you know, women as colleagues and, and women on my team. So that's been something that's always been a natural here at Kimpton is, is that support and what? network. Was that a goal for you, Kathleen, or you know, to be in a leadership position, or did it just kind of happen organically? I'd say it happened organically. I think I've, I've, um, I've always, I, I always enjoyed leading. Whether I was, you know, uh, on my on my teams, you know, and going back to lacrosse or basketball, I I enjoyed being a leader on the team and stepping up and um, supporting the younger players as you get older. So that's something that it's been natural for me and a natural fit yeah well but I, th- I also think there's there's an element of for me you know loving the brand loving the company and mm-hmm. then being in the right place at the right time I think when I joined Kimpton it was smaller a lot of these disciplines revenue management digital as an example brands some did and some did not exist in the capacity in the way that they are today so mm-hmm. I feel very lucky to to be having been sort of grown with and alongside um, a pretty a pretty special company called Kimpton. Yeah, you know it is so much more fun when when something is growing and expanding and you know venturing into new areas. Um, it just keeps keeps your day so much more interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, you know we just have a, a few minutes left. If if there's someone listening that that's actually in your field, a woman, a young woman, and she really is interested. In you know excelling further, what would your advice, your final piece of advice, be for her? You know, I would say stay curious. I think that was something that really benefited me. Is understand how how not only the discipline that you're in works, but understand its impact on other disciplines. So that was something I worked really hard to had relationships and understanding dependencies of revenue management or branding and that dependency on finance, as an example, or PR and communication. So I think that helps you to have a really holistic perspective and allows you to make decisions not just in a tight box, but understanding the broader impact within the organization. That's going to allow you to build um, trust and, and confidence amongst your, your peers and your, and your colleagues and leadership. That's something that um, I'd say has been a priority for me. I think the other thing I would say is um, don't be afraid to roll with the punches. I think you know, life and um, and business throws you a ton of curveballs, and That's so right. it's just I see I see sometimes people take things maybe more seriously than they should be, and I think mm. use that sense of humor to pull you out of that hole, right? Um, because the curveballs will come. That's so right. So I think that's something that just keep that perspective and um, keep the chin up and keep your sense of humor and surround yourself with a lot of loving supporters and and family and friends. That's terrific advice, Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. I hope your kids had a great first day of school. I do. Yeah. (laughs) And I hope you'll stay in touch. Thanks. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week.